because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son, and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. Father, we pause before you because we recognize that in your word we find a story that surprises us, and yet we relate sometimes so well to the way life seems to truly be. We pray that you would enable us to recognize that which are the things in which you have prescribed for us and to distinguish between the things that we have tended to add to the dimensions of your beautiful and precious plan for life. Help us, Lord, to not only recognize how that sometimes our thoughts get in the way of your plan and purpose, we pray that we would recognize what's important is to find our faith and trust in you. Teach us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Jacob was born with a grasp upon his brother's heel, and he grew up as a grabber most of his life. He was one that sometimes could not quite distinguish between when it was his desire to grab something and when his desire as well was to trust God and reach or grab the things that really matter in life. He even stole his brother's birthright. He deceived him by obtaining the, the family blessing. And now Jacob has begun to reap what he sows. His uncle Laban had deceived him in, by giving Jacob the wrong daughter on his wedding night. And now Leah and Rachel are constantly grabbing at each other's lives in a way that demonstrates jealousy and lots and lots of family drama. It's interesting when you look at this that we, it's, we, we can kind of chuckle about it, thinking this is absolutely amazing. We have 12 children born, and each one of them is named out of a statement against the other one. Each one was in a sense of competition. Each one was in this, this drama of two sisters fighting for the love of one man. At the other hand, we kind of cringe, thinking, how does this work in life? How are some of our interpretations of life, or maybe even our thoughts of what God has blessed, we get confused sometimes because we don't always know the difference between the results of our own grabbing and our ability to trust God that he indeed is uh, truly sovereign. To begin to appreciate these scriptures, we must honestly uh, receive them as words of wisdom that come from God, but we must at the same time recognize there are a few sacred principles in interpreting the word that God has preserved for us. The first thing that I think is somewhat evident when you get to know a little bit about Jacob's background and you look at the life of, of, of Rachel and Leah, and the more you learn about them, you realize that some things in life we have inherited because we have, are a certain character or a personality that God has to deal with us by, in essence, giving us what we truly are really like. 
Jacob being a grabber, he was one that believed that the way you attain in life is you control the process. And so we find that he kind of inherits two wives that seemingly are demonstrating the same kind of battles. It's difficult sometimes for us to understand that when God is moving in and through our lives, as much as we may have come to certain points of some kind of change in life, you and I must understand a principle in life is that God doesn't always uh, uh, simply uh, answer us the way we want, but he involves himself in the way that is ultimately good for us. The sowing and reaping principle works sometimes for us, and sometimes it works against us. We're taught in scriptures, for example, the principle of giving generously to uh, the things that are of God, and he will reward us proportionately. That is a kind of a positive sowing and reaping. But there's also the time that when you and I have, have learned to maybe uh, do some things in a manipulative way in getting a hold of God and getting him to give us what we want, sometimes he matches that with a blessing that later on you'll say, oh, that one was a little costly. And so we've, we've learned in the story of here. So here are uh, two wives that are constantly competing at each other, and it's all over this love thing, and I'm not sure quite how that operates, and I'm not so sure it was certainly God's plan that he ended up with these two wives. But one thing is, Jacob wasn't quitting until he got all that he wanted, and now, as you look at this portion of the 29th chapter and 30th, you wonder if he started to say, you know what, God, I am really, really sorry. 21 years, 14 working to attain, and seven more years trying to figure out how to get away. And so 21 years of his life, he has had to deal with this family of origin that has begun to be an interesting complexity in his life. The second thing we must uh, uh, humbly consider pertaining to the wisdom that God can teach us, particularly out of stories like these, is that um, God's heavy hand of discipline is not to bring harm to his people or to put us in place, but God's discipline is always motivated by the power of his love. It's important to know that even though Jacob, in, in essence, inherited a little bit of his own kind of manipulative concepts, and he began to experience the turmoil of reaping what he sows, but you and I must understand when God ultimately steps in, it's not because he's going to get even or prove some kind of point. It's the discipline of love. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and we need to uh, humbly consider this. What we see in, uh, the, in, the, in, in the story there in Genesis is uh, both of the sisters not only looked at life and experienced children or the fruit of their own little drama going on, but they named each of their children in, in, in the basis of the way they perceived things were. And it's interesting that they credit God as being involved in this mess. Now, God obviously is involved in the drama, 
that you and I find ourselves involved. We ultimately know that children are a gift from God, but sometimes through the drama that life creates, we find ourselves reaping some of the consequences that really wasn't God's perfect plan and will for life. They become what is called the permissive will of God. You could imagine when you look at life and you realize the currents and trends of people, the way they think, some of the things that you and I have been involved in, uh, it might be, have a tendency to assume that, well, of course, it happened, therefore, it's God's plan or will. On the other hand, you and I realize that uh, the, the direction of our own nation, sometimes the direction of our own families, is not always God's perfect plan and will. We have added to the complication of life's challenges. God really has his hands full by choosing to call us his people. And it's important to know that if we're going to gain wisdom from the Bible, we need to be careful to assume or, or to, to pre-assume that somehow everything Leah said in this story or interpretation or Rachel said is what God truly said. It's simply reporting their thoughts, their values, their principles, and out of their drama, they have uh, allowed God's thoughts to be communicated in the story. And so that's what you and I need to understand about uh, the scriptures and the discernment about them is it not necessarily God's plan because he ultimately has 12 kids to deal with. It's because you and I need to realize that we can create some real challenges in life. What's important is that we understand if you and I have a tendency to uh, try to get ahead of God and we try to force God or to twist God's arm or to create God's history for him, you and I are going to reap some of those consequences. And the way God often begins to do that is sometimes he says, if that's what you want, you can have it. So Jacob now is thinking, ooh, this is going to be interesting. It doesn't say much about Jacob and all that little drama. Do you notice that? That's, I find it somewhat humorous because I'm not stuck in his, his shoes at this particular time, but I can't imagine two wives constantly in that kind of competition. Imagine being Solomon. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. We need to understand when God ultimately intervenes in life and he begins to formulate his purpose and plan, is we might reap a little bit of what we, we have sown, but at the same time, when God gets involved in, in turning up the heat a little bit, it's really because he loves us. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, and then we'll read a couple more here. And you have forgotten that the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Now you can read on later on in Hebrews 12 and, and discover a little bit more, but it's important to know that God is not in the sense going to uh, beat us into submission. He's going to love us by a heavy hand in life. And so it's books like, or chapters like Genesis 29 and 30 that constantly remind us to put our faith and trust in God is, is, is a good thing to do. And to try to manipulate and, and allow drama in our lives to, to enter in, to try to force things to happen 
is not what's pleasing to God. And God will deal with that. He doesn't reject us. He doesn't throw us out. He doesn't say, I'm finished with you, fortunately. But he works through those circumstances to bring about a change of heart so that ultimately when Jacob goes back to the promised land, he begins to find himself looking up to God. Now, I think one of the real clinchers is that Rachel's son, Joseph, the one born, when, he, when she ultimately receives this, becomes the real breaking point in Jacob's life. His son is sold to Egypt. In other words, he reaps what he sows. It's a hard life to miss some of the wisdom that God wants to give. And even in that hardness and that heaviness of life, and in the grieving and breaking things that would go through the challenges of life, ultimately God can bring us to a place where we become beautiful and humble and tender in his sight. And this becomes the fabric of the people of God, the beginning stages where God ultimately works. The third thing we often need to consider when we look at scriptures, particularly the ones that don't neatly fit uh, the way we might have a tendency to look at life, is that if by chance we find a way to manipulate or force circumstances to get our way, it does not mean that this is always the will of God. If we go back to Genesis 29 and 30, we need to, in essence, trust somehow that God has worked all things together for his good, but that does not mean God's plan was all things that have happened in your life and mine. You and I are well aware that we have a freedom in life. You and I can make choices on our own. We can decide things. We can create destinies for some people, and we can make life interesting for others. That doesn't necessarily mean it was God's plan. It just means that God is able to redeem even the ignorance or foolishness of our own drama. So when we look in uh, uh, verses 3 through 8, for example, in Genesis chapter 30, we'll go back there. Notice Rachel is... Then Rachel said in chapter 30, verse 3, Here is Bilhah, my maidservant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and that through her I too can build a family. So he gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea because of this she named him Dan. Then later on, she has another one in verse 8. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. You realize that if you were to simply take those verses completely out of context, you could have a lot of fun or create a lot of nightmares for yourself. And that's the point that we must consider when we look at Scripture, is the principles of Scripture do not simply mean that God supports everything that is written in there. That's not the way you win. By having drama with your sister and creating and setting up circumstances, we need to try to understand that when we look at the wisdom of God, we will come up with the wise answers. But some of the stories simply report that this is what is sowing and reaping all about. If we create ideas and thought 
patterns that are taken out of the context of Scripture. You and I could prove or endorse anything we want, but it does not mean God is going to bless those things. God is able to redeem even our foolishness and craziness of life. God can bring us through all kinds of circumstances, but Jacob had to learn the hard way, and so does Rachel. Look uh, here at um, chapter 30 and verse 24. Genesis chapter 30, verses, uh, verse 24. She named him Joseph and then said, May the Lord add to me another son. Now, if we look at Genesis 29 and uh, uh, verse now wait, I lost my train of thought. Oh, we're going to have to skip it. Later on, when we find that Benjamin is born, that she dies in giving birth. That is her next son. I lost the scripture. It's important to know that uh, Rachel was of a much stronger personality, even than Jacob in trying to create and manipulate to her life in giving birth. Uh, quickly said her own and realized that uh, with a particular story, name or explanation, that assume that God sees the thing the way it actually is in Scripture. It doesn't mean that God has endorsed it or suggests that these are the ways that are communicated, the thoughts and Leah. So let's move on to recognize how do we gain wisdom and how do we find wisdom or how do we use we can get into a lot of trouble. The wisdom that God has us, uh, Rachel particularly in this case in the drama, is that you and I potentially um, can come up with a lot of foolish thoughts all by ourselves. No matter how long you've been reading the scripture, there is no place that you can get where you have rice, where you can sit down, take a long breath, and not worry about life. Every one of us, regardless of who we are or how long we've been following 24-7. And because of death, his on a relationship that's active and vibrant and consistent and, and day by day. You and I hum, must humbly always understand that we need to learn how to continually be taught all the way through life. It'd be nice to look at the stories of these great individuals of faith and say they have reached a place that we can all step into. We can follow in the footsteps of this place where we want decisions. To Psalm chapter 25. They're sharing to people they know that end up in trouble and end up with serious problems. And some of these people say, well, I don't know about her because they're pastors. And so every time there's a new shockwave that comes and a, another uh, uh, individual uh, falls for some kind of uh, uh, deceptive trick of the enemy or someone else, I see this all the time in life sometimes because deception has whispered in to the ear of someone who is not careful about their heart and not careful about the direction of their life, uh, somehow... Uh, uh, deception has gotten the best. Psalm 25 uh, verses 4 and 5 are, I, I, I trust, would be something I can cherish and, and humbly consider. 
Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you, God, my hope is in you all day long. Verses 8 and 9. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, sinners in his way. guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. It's important to of being deceived is always there. And the draw of life. Now, maybe uh, uh, you don't have a sister that's in constant competition. You don't have these voices and all that chatter going on in your life. But no doubt, wherever you live and whatever direction you want your life, there is that kind of drama going on. There's those kind of influences and those kind of tactics and those kind of thought processes. They come from the left, the right. They come whether they come from TV or the Internet or wherever it is. There's always these voices that somehow we must learn how to weigh them. We must interpret what to listen continually to and what to shut it off. There's all kinds of influences. So the drama isn't simply about a story in Genesis 29, but that drama is all around us all the time. It's constantly going on. I was listening to uh, Rabbi Zacharias as my wife has got me tuned in on him and they say he's coming to State College soon, and I thought, you know, this guy is so deep and so profound. I couldn't handle him live. I got to listen to it about 10 times in a row because he's so profound and so deep, but he's so real. And he's communicating a message that in our generation, we don't typically think anymore. And I thought, well, that's kind of bold and uh, whatever. But he's trying to help us realize that as Christians, we sort of have an oversimplified view of God and how to follow him and how to walk with him, and we need to once again discover the beauty of depth. Now, that depth cannot simply happen because we tap into God a little bit once in a while, is that you and I humbly say, Lord, you teach me and enable me to be a student of you. If we've gotten to the place where we've lost the search, We've lost the desire to know more about God and to understand his ways. Deception will come knocking on your door. It's easy to find ourselves in trouble. And so we must learn how to be taught by God and constantly taught uh, by God and that influence. The second thing that goes together with that is in chapter 32. I was talking with somebody not too long ago and you know, they had, you know, I had mentioned briefly that uh, I was involved at Pyramid and, and uh, kind of spending some time ministering uh, to some people that have some drug and alcohol uh, challenges in their life. And right away, this lady insisted on telling me, well, they really need Jesus. And I said, I think we all do. <laughs> but it's important to know that somehow deception can creep in and give us the impression that we have arrived, we have Jesus, and therefore other people, based on our interpretation of what's good, bad, and really ugly, is that they really need Jesus. That reminds me, several years ago, handing out flyers in the neighborhood. It was sort of the same comment. We were knocking on doors and giving out flyers. Hey, if you got any kids, we got a kids program out here, and we're going to have animals and petting zoo and all that kind of stuff. And she says, well, I don't have any children, but those neighbors down there, they really need Jesus. You need to get the flyer down there. And I, you know, I, I try to kindly say, you know, watch out, Rachel and Leah. 
your drama isn't always the best answer or solutions to life. You and I need to realize in Psalm 32 that you're talking about a man who was a, a man after God's own heart, King David. Now, I myself probably wouldn't receive a whole lot of mercy from my wife if I ended up pulling a David thing, and we don't want to minimize what David has done, but I simply want to say it this way. David was a man after God's own heart. And he found himself in a situation that ought to teach the best of us. Don't think that stuff can't happen to you. So as important it is to constantly learn, you better keep close contact with God in that area of confession and forgiveness. Notice here in Psalm 32, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Here's my point. Probably before David ended up in trouble, looking across the, the alley or whatever it might be, he was probably on the internet checking out porn. It's important to know that his thought life probably was gone before he ended up doing what he's done. And so you and I need to realize sin is not so much the measure of the big ones. Sin is often the secret place that no one knows about. And unless I'm dealing with those little areas of life, the big one isn't going to be a match for Satan. What often gets people in trouble isn't so much uh, the, the, the large temptation, it's often the little subtle things that creep into life. You and I need to realize what keeps us close and allows the wisdom of God to begin to work in life is number one, I'm constantly asking God to be my teacher. And therefore, I'm humbling myself to say that I need to be taught. But the second thing is that in the concept of confession, I'm beginning to understand the importance of confessing all the little attitudes and the thoughts and the motives and the, the, the compromises that go on before the sin hits the big top ten. And as you and I are well aware of, we live in a world that, well, I didn't commit the big ones. Well, be careful. A third thing we, we need to consider how to, to have life and look at life in a wise fashion is to consider the blessing of godly counsel. Turn with me to uh, Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. As I was preparing for this, this is what really uh, caused me to stop and think, how do I go about processing this in my own life? I, I've kind of, uh, um, as some of you know, I, I kind of live a, a rather isolated life in my commitment to God. I like the idea of being alone with God. I like the idea of listening to God on my own. I really am not uh, uh, too keen on this, this counsel that can come from others, but Jerry has constantly reminded me, you know what, we all need to be accountable. So I appreciate that. Look in Proverbs chapter 13, uh, verses 14. Verse 14 and, and then uh, 20. 
The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. And verse 20, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I was just reading a book on uh, um, the, the founders of what's called cross trainers. I don't know if anybody's heard of that. It's a powerful ministry. It's sort of uh, uh, similar to the concept of the, the older uh, uh, promise keepers, a men's group where they were getting together in, in gr larger groups and talking about the real challenges that men face and finding a group of people and say, how are we doing? And so it's important to know that wisdom can, can be something that God can give us as long as we're teachable. God is a great teacher. And as long as I'm willing to be humble enough to confess the, the, the sinward uh, tendencies and direction of my life, God can restore. We know that. But sometimes, uh, even like in, in my own case, is uh, I'm scared to death to, to, to lay everything out before everybody. I mean, some of you might actually like me. Or you might, uh, you know, whatever my thoughts might be, but none of us likes to get completely vulnerable in front of other people, right? But at some point, wisdom is help. <laughs> Keep the checks and balances. So uh, um, what the book is suggesting is uh, not so much to go for the group that has 25 people and try to be vulnerable in front of 25. It says to open yourself or pray to God that God would give someone else that you can completely confide in. You and I need a wisdom that comes and bounces off of others. As much as we might believe we're hearing from God about what God has to say, and we might be listening to God saying we're truly teachable, sometimes even in the settings of learning, we don't always get it. There's someone that must evaluate or help you say, you know what? I know that you believe that this is what God wants you to do, or I know that the direction of your life seems to be one that you feel very comfortable with, but somehow there's some missing pieces, okay? There really wasn't a whole lot of opportunities, I, I guess I believe, during Jacob's day. I don't know how uh, the one wife is jealous with the other one. She said, well, here, take my maidservant. I mean, this guy isn't very bright. I mean... Now he's really got a complicated mess. He's got a drama of four of them instead of two of them. And, you know, and, and it goes on and on and on. But, uh, you know, and then you get to Solomon. I mean, these guys are really brilliant. I mean, but somehow they come up with this. I, I do believe we've got an advantage, though, when we follow Jesus Christ. Because Jesus not only came and was able to give truth in more of a personal way, but he blessed us with the Holy Spirit that is enabling us to experience conviction that comes directly from God. So we don't want to simply assume that everything, resources that God has given us today are necessarily equivalent to all the resources back then, but you and I need to realize the primary point of the message is if we do not have a helper teaching us, whether it is God directly or a brother that loves me enough to tell me like it is, you and I can easily make decisions and convince ourselves it's really God. If we don't have that kind of a spiritual foundation working in our lives, it's easy to end up in trouble. And the scriptures encourage us to join together and to fellowship with one another and to uh, continue to help each other in the process. 
And that is why God has gifted us with so many different unique uh, uh, gifts that come from him and wisdom that he gives us in life to help us get to know the Lord uh, together as a unit. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the reality that uh, some of the greatest individuals in the Bible have really made a lot of problems. And we pray, God, that you would not allow that to be some kind of an excuse for us to be careless. Help us to realize that the consequences of some of these mistakes will simply destroy our lives. Yet we pray, God, that you would redeem the time that we have and the strength that we still yet can apply. And we pray that you would protect us, you would lead us, and you would bless us. Forgive us for the times that we simply assumed because we found a verse that seemingly uh, sounds good to us. Forgive us for using it in places that it really doesn't belong. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't quit with Jacob and you're not going to quit with us. We pray that you would continue to do a work in his life to bring about a quality that we can understand can take place in our own. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.